Well, I hope I'm not the first one to say good morning to you. I am Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and today it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We will pick up where we left off last time. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you, and you will find our reading today in Galatians 5 on page 975, page 975, that'll be towards the back of the Bible. So if you're not super familiar with how the Bible works, the chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are the little numbers. And today we'll be considering verses 19 to 26. So Galatians 5, 19 to 26. Although what I'll do is here in a moment, I'll read the passage before we jump into it. And I'm actually going to start reading at verse 16. So if you have one of the church Bibles, that's right under the heading that is keep in step with the Spirit. I'll go ahead and read the passage. We'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together. And then we'll jump in. In total, it should be around 40 or 45 minutes. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to the glories of Jesus here in this text. More than we need food this afternoon, more than we need drink, more than we need to celebrate freedom, more than we need a paycheck this week, we need to see Jesus right now. And will you show us a kindness 
that you have shown to us so many times. Let us see him. Let us rejoice in him. And if it is your will, let us become just like him. Amen. Why do we stare at fire? Have you ever noticed this about fire? It's summertime, and so a lot of us are, you know, making fires in our backyard. So we, someone cuts down a tree and chops it up into little bits, and we gather it all together, and we put it in a fire ring, and we heat it up, and it catches on fire, and then we gather our friends and our family around this fire, and we just stare at it. I mean, sometimes we'll make s'mores or hot dogs or something, but mostly we just stare at fire. Why does fire have this mesmerizing effect? I don't know. But fire is fascinating. Did you know that the light released from the fire in your backyard came from the sun? It's true. I'm a theologian. I'm not a scientist, but I can read. And I looked this up. A long time ago, light molecules from the sun traveled 93 million miles, got sucked into the wood of that tree through tiny little openings in in the tree, in in the leaves, where they got stuck. And then someone cut the tree down and chopped it into pieces, and you threw it in your fire ring and heated it up, and the carbon molecules in the wood and the oxygen around the wood get super excited from the heat. They start wiggling around, and they smash into each other, and they release energy from the heat, which excites other molecules around them, and light molecules just pop out. That's light. The fire in your backyard is releasing stored light from the sun. The Christian life is a little bit like this. When God saved you, He filled you with His Holy Spirit. The Bible actually describes conversion sort of like God, the light of the glory of Jesus Christ being shined onto your heart. And you saw it and you believed. And as you walk through life, Situations and circumstances in your life cause a a reaction in you. You you get heated, as it were, and the light of God's glory is released from your life, like light released out of a fire. I mean, didn't Jesus once say that you are the light of the world? And didn't Jesus also say, I am the light of the world? So, Christian, you are the light of the world because you shine with the light of the world. A tree on fire releases the light of the S-U-N, but a Christian on fire releases the light of the S-O-N. And in this section of Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul is explaining for us the real and concrete difference between a life without Christ and a life with Christ. He's contrasting the life of the flesh and the life of the Spirit. In these verses, 
As we just read, he calls them the works of the flesh and the fruits or the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll be explaining the difference here in a moment. As those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, releasing the light of His glory through their life and those who are trusting in something else. Here's the big idea this morning. God's Spirit produces God-glorifying selflessness in God's people. Therefore, keep in step with Him. That God the Holy Spirit creates and releases a God-glorifying selflessness in His people. And so we must keep in step with Him. We'll unpack this passage in three parts. The first is, we'll look at the self-centered life. The self-centered life in verses 19 to 21. Then we'll look at the Christ-centered life in verses 22 and 23. And then finally, we'll see a life which is powered by the Spirit of God, the Spirit-filled life in verses 24 to 26. So let's get started in verses 19 to 21, and we'll consider a life lived for the self. This is what we read in verse 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And then Paul lists them. There's a bunch of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then he moves on to idolatry and sorcery. From there, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. From there, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Last Lord's Day, we learned that Christians are at war with the flesh. The desires of the flesh, as we read in verse 16, 17, and 18, are opposed to the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. They're at war with one another. This is because they're after two fundamentally different things. Your life has an orbit, and it can only have one orbit. And the Spirit of God living in you, dear Christian, works tirelessly to make Jesus the center of the orbit of your life, to make Jesus the center of everything. Because the Spirit knows better than we do that that's that's how we work best. That's what's best for us, to orbit Jesus. But you see, the flesh in you wants a different orbit. The flesh wants you at the center of your orbit, wants you in the middle. But what Paul is helping us to see is that with us in the middle of our lives, nothing works as it should. But more than that, it leads to death and causes every kind of distortion. So before we jump into this list of the self-centered life, I want to take a second and disabuse us all of the notion that these characteristics that we're about to read, again, are are, are those out there. And while that is true, certainly that is true, that these characteristics that we read here are true of those out there, we should be far more concerned with these characteristics we read here in here. Well, God is gracious to save us and set us free from the power of these things, as we will see in a moment. The old nature lingers. The flesh still has its grip on us. And so we will use this list primarily, almost exclusively, to expose our own sin 
And by God's grace, bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ and leave it there. And then turn and live a life in Christ with joy and with Him at the center. Well, as you read through these uh, number of works of the flesh, you'll, you'll find one common theme in all of them. They are all self-gratifying, self-glorifying. They all reject God's offer of free grace through Jesus Christ and seek their own way. And Paul is showing us what it looks like to live with yourself at the center of your life. These are the works of the flesh. They are evident in these ways. This is how you know you are living a self-centered life, and it is a disordered life. So what we see in this list is four categories. We see disordered sexuality. We see disordered worship. We see disordered relationships, and we see a life that's just totally out of control. So, four categories. Let's have a look at the first one. Verse 19 starts with disordered sexuality. The first three works of the flesh are these, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. They all have to do with sexual disorder. Sexual immorality is a catch-all word that the Bible uses to mean any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. That's sexual immorality. Impurity means uncleanness. It refers to unnatural sexual practices. God created sex to be between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And any other use of sex is a disordered sex, and it is sinful. So this would include adultery, sex outside of marriage, it would include homosexual practices, it would include pornography and the like, any misuse of sex. And now I must say that in a gathering of this size, there are going to be those in this room who know what the Bible teaches about sexual purity and are seeking with God's help to honor Him with their sexual urges and yet still struggle to this day with an attraction to the same sex. In a room this size, there are going to be those Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I want to say a couple of things. Our country, we thank God for this country, but our country just celebrated Pride Month. A whole month out of the calendar year that we celebrate homosexuality. And for a Christian who is seeking to honor the Lord with his or her body, who struggles with same-sex attraction, can you imagine how difficult it is to hear from everywhere that is just fine? That to reject your Lord and to pursue your desires is just fine. And I want you to know we know that. And we love you. And we are praying for you. And this church seeks to be a safe place for those who are same-sex attracted. And that you can go to someone who you trust 
that you can confess that to them, and they will pray with you, and they will help you, and they will take your hand and help you grab a hold of God's grace as you endure through that. and Seek to honor the Lord. The word sensuality refers to uncontrolled sexual urges. It's translated in some of your Bibles as promiscuity. It refers to unrestrained, flaunted sexuality. It is a sexuality without regard to self-respect or the rights and feelings of others. I don't want you to notice something about all these disorders of sexuality. I already said this once, but I'll say it again, that God created sex as a gift, but God also created sex to be a gift. It is something a married man and a married woman give to one another. Disordered sex is a taking of sex. It is self-focused. It is self-gratifying. And so you see this in the world in which we live. Often a man will give love to get sex in the same way that a woman will give sex to get love. Both are taking. Neither are giving. Both are self-focused, both worried about what I get out of this relationship. Sin like this is a disordered sexuality. The works of the flesh also appear as disordered worship in the next two in the list. Paul gives us idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is any worship of anything that is not God. It's looking to something or someone other than God to give you something that only God can give. And so, in this way, American, 21st century American, we, we can be just as idolatrous as those cultures in our world which bow down to totem poles. Colossians 3 verse 5 says that covetousness is idolatry. And covetousness is this unrestrained desire that something I think can give me happiness and safety and, and, and power and success. I have to have that in order for me to feel good. Idolatry is just giving your heart over to something other than God and expecting that thing or that person to, to provide something for you that only God can. That's idolatry. Sorcery is like this. Sorcery is what it is. The word means sorcery, witchcraft. Actually, the word refers to pharmacology. It refers to drugs that, that, that they would take during pagan worship, which again, we would think, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know anybody who takes drugs when they visit a pagan temple. It wouldn't seem like a common thing in 21st century America, but it is. Just consider how often people in our day will use mind-altering drugs to pursue a spiritual experience, to pursue a mind-altered state of consciousness. That's not much different from pagan cults of old. It falls into the same category of sorcery. Like all works of the flesh, disordered sexuality, disordered worship is self-focused, self-glorifying. It's about rejecting God's offer of salvation in an effort to find salvation my own way. The next eight works of the flesh are evidences of disordered relationships. Again, all of them are self-focused. Enmity is listed here. Enmity means hatred. It is hostility towards any other person or community or ethnicity or religion. 
It is an underlining, underlining sentiment of hostility toward someone else. That is enmity. Jesus taught us to love our enmities. It's, it's, it's a version of the same word. Romans 12.20 says that if your enmity is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. So think about this, dear conservative Christian. The next time you're talking about our current president, do you have enmity? Strife is listed next. This is the opposite of peace. It is a quarrelsomeness, a discord, contention. Jealousy in this context means a resentment towards someone who has received success or distinction in their life. It is a zeal to see yourself exalted to a place that's occupied by someone else. Fits of anger, just outbursts of rage, rivalries, these base, self-seeking, selfish ambitions, working to give yourself prominence. Dissensions and divisions are related to one another. They, re- they, they refer to these factions, creating factions and parties, and dividing groups into us and them, looking at the whole world through this like, with me or against me. The last relationship disorder is envy. Envy is regarding someone with ill will because of who they are, because of what they have. It is a grudging spirit that cannot stand someone else's prosperity. The last two disorders Paul lists here refer to a life that is out of control. Drunkenness is overindulging in alcohol. It's an inability to drink in moderation. Drinking alcohol isn't necessarily a sin, but drunkenness always is. And under this, I would place the misuse of prescription drugs, recreational drugs. This is because in a moment we'll see that a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Using a substance that would cause us to lose self-control is a work of the flesh. It's self-centered, self-gratifying. It's sin. The word orgies does not refer actually to sexual orgies. In fact, the word is more related to drunkenness. It means putting physical pleasures in the place of God. So it can refer to excessive feasting and gluttony, but it's simply an immoderate enjoyment of physical pleasure. And the Bible teaches that God has given us many things to enjoy. That is a gracious gift of the Lord from on high, and He gives it to His people, and He gives it to His enemies, an ability to enjoy the things He's made, an enjoyment of those things in themselves without regard to the one who gave them is self-focused, self-gratifying, and it is sin. It is disordered. And so Paul warns that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So those who make a lifestyle habit of indulging in these works of the flesh will not go to heaven. Paul doesn't mean that if you've done one of them, if you've been drunk once in your life, that you're banned from heaven. That's not what he means. He means those whose lives are categorized by self-gratifying, self-satisfying, self-seeking. As evidenced in these ways, it is that life that does not have Christ. It is that life that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But rather, that life is bound for an eternity under the judgment of God. And so before we move on, let me just ask you to consider your own life. Do these things characterize your life? Do you relate with these works of the flesh as a normal practice in your own life? Have you spent your life seeking your own glory, seeking to satisfy your own desires? You may have come to church hoping for a a message that tells you how good you are and how to help and improve your already good life. And I'm certainly glad that you're here, and I do hate to disappoint you, but the Bible is like a doctor. If you're going to live a healthy, happy, flourishing life, we've got to diagnose the sickness. We've got to diagnose the disease so that we can find the cure. And that's what this is about. I know that you've been told your whole life that happiness is on the other end of gratifying your desires, but is that true? There's only one way, dear friend, to find lasting happiness, and that is to do as so many here have, to turn away from your sins, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to throw yourself at His feet, begging Him for mercy, by which He will reach out, cleanse you of your unrighteousness. As Pastor Steve prayed earlier, take your sin on Himself and gift you His righteousness. Don't leave here today still in your sins. Talk with someone who looks like a regular around here. We would love to sit down with you and help you begin this new life freedom in Christ. The self-centered life is a disordered life. But dear Christian, this is not who you are. Your life is not disordered. The flesh no longer has a dominating force in your life because you've been united to Christ. You've been filled with the Spirit of God And through you, God intends to shine the light of His glory. Let's have a look at what that life looks like in verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Doesn't that sound way better than the first list? Who's tired of striving? 
Who's tired of dissensions? I know I am. Well, regrettably, we won't have time to look into each one of these in depth. Lord willing, I'd love to do a whole series on the fruit of the Spirit. But for now, several things I would like you to notice about this list before us. First, I want you to see how each one of these nine things is upward-focused and outward-focused. While the works of the flesh are self-gratifying, the fruits of the Spirit are God-glorifying. And we'll see here in a minute, each one of them centers around the Lord Jesus. So that's the first thing. Second thing I want you to notice about the list is that Paul uses the word fruit, not fruits. It's in the singular. That's not an accident. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's like one fruit with many flavors. They all grow together. As a Christian, you don't grow in love without kindness. You don't become more peaceful and less gentle. You don't grow in joy without faithfulness. These all grow together. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The third thing I would have you notice is that just the nature of fruit. It is a great metaphor. The fruit of the tree has a different function than the roots of the tree. The fruit of the tree is produced by the tree. The tree is not produced by the fruit. Or the roots produce the fruits, not the other way around. And if that's confusing, let me explain. You're not right with God because you have the fruit of the Spirit. You have the fruit of the Spirit because you're right with God. Does that make sense? So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the rest, they don't make you a Christian. They're evidence that you are a Christian. The root of the Christian life is grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, everything we've been talking about in the book of Galatians. And the fruit is evidence that you're connected to God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And we, it's important that we get this because a lot of people are going to try and take fruit and duct tape it to a dead tree and call themselves alive. They'll take a ripe orange and tape it to a dead branch and call it an orange tree. Am I, a good, per- am I good with God? Well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm nice. Fruit is the inevitable result of the Christian life, but it cannot be and is not the basis of the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are saved by grace through faith. Not by works, but for works. Not saved by works, but you're saved for works. So, of course, don't hear me. Give your life, your whole life, to producing God-glorifying fruits of the Spirit in ever-increasing measure, but don't, not for one moment, trust in those things for your assurance. Your assurance that you are right with God is not how much or how little fruit you see in your life. So on your best day or on your worst day, God's feeling for you is unchanged. And we've been through this in this series several times, but I'm just going to keep on saying it till we get it. 
which means I'll probably keep on saying it until I'm dead, that God's feeling for you, dear Christian, is based solely, only, and never will be based on anything else except the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God's pleasure in His Son, which means that God's pleasure in your life is not based in any way, nor will it ever be based on your performance. On your best day, God is not more or less pleased with you than on your worst day. And so, dear one, you are free from trying to earn His favor or His love. There is no sense in earning what you already have and cannot lose. So that's the third thing about fruit. The other thing about fruit is that it grows. It's gradual growth. The growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life is gradual. It happens over time. Many of you have been Christians for decades. Every single one of you has had this experience where you have to go through a difficult time in your life, some kind of crisis or happens to you, and in the middle of it, you're thinking to yourself, 10 years ago, I would have never reacted to crisis like this. Had this suffering come into my life 10 years ago, it would have crippled me. Over the 10 years of spending with the Lord in His Word, coming to church on Sunday, receiving the Lord's Supper, God has grown you. And so now, while your life is being heated up, the light of God's glory is shining through your life like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This is the effect of the Spirit's work in your life. So let's have a look at the list very quickly. The fruit of the Spirit, first one listed, is love. Love is always primary in these lists. Love is self-giving, giving good to someone for their sake without concern for your own. It's the opposite of fear. I know we sometimes hear that the opposite of love is indifference, and that's partly true. But in Scripture, the opposite of love is fear which is self-protection, self-preservation. Love gives without concern of being taken advantage of or exploited. It gives not to, not to get, but just to give. And love is the power behind all these other fruits. Love is the light of the heat of the Christian life. So it goes from love to joy. Joy is delighting in God for who He is. Peace is resting on the wisdom and control of God. It is confidence in God who is in control of all things, that He knows what is good, He knows what is right. Whatever comes, it comes from Him and is for our good, and so we have peace because we can trust Him. Look, this sickness of mine, it may take my life, but Jesus has my life. I'll be with Him forever. The opposite of peace is anxiety, which happens when we don't trust in Christ. We're not trusting in God's promises. We're looking to the situation. We're looking to ourselves, and we crumble in, give in to anxiety. It's sin. 
Patience is the ability to face whatever comes without wigging out. The old English word was long-suffering. I think I like that one better. Patience means to endure long, to wait on the Lord to fulfill His promise in His way, in His timing. Whereas the flesh exposes itself in fits of anger, the fruit of the Spirit is peace and patience. Kindness means more than just being nice. I really like how Tim Keller defines kindness. Kindness means to serve others in a way that makes me vulnerable to misuse. The flesh opposite of kindness is envy. Kindness means that you give yourself to help others at your own expense. You're just not worried about whether they're going to take advantage of you or not. And that's so opposite to the way we normally think. Those in need need to be taught the consequences of their actions. They're dumb. They need to know it. Maybe. But kindness would be to teach them by serving them in ways that make us vulnerable to misuse. After all, isn't that what Jesus did for us? Is it not the kindness of the Lord that brought us to repentance? Goodness means generosity, an interest in the welfare of others. Faithfulness is being reliable, being dependable, keeping true to your word. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Gentleness means being humble, self-forgetful. It's just not being overly impressed with your own importance, putting others before yourself. I am zealous for us all to know the freedom that comes from self-forgetfulness. Just to get out of our own way and to watch the Lord move. Self-control means being able to retain our desires, restrain our desires and our impulses, our emotions. So think of it like being able to say yes to what is right over what feels urgent. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And as I said, it is evidence the Spirit is in us, that we are united to Christ. Did you notice how in the list of the works of the flesh, everything is motivated by a sense of emptiness. We use others to fix the emptiness we feel inside. I got to use others as a means to an end. I got to make sure that I get me and mine. But the Spirit's working us, it's God focused. And God fills us, and He is a source unlimited. And so we're free to pour ourselves out and never afraid that we're going to run out, which is exactly the kind of thing we see in the last few verses in this passage. A few more minutes and we'll wrap up. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those things which once used to rule us, now they're dead to us. Because you have Christ, those things no longer have power over you. When Jesus died, so did they. And you are free from the works of the flesh, acting as if it were a dominant force in your life. I've said this before. As a Christian, there is no point when you can look to God and say, I can't. I know what you're asking of me here, the obedience you require of me, I can't. It's true in one sense. In your own flesh, in your own strength, no, you can't. Please do not forget, dear Christian, you have been filled with Almighty God. You can. And by God's grace, you will. No longer are we driven by the desire to climb into bed with someone to feel accepted because we are in Christ. We have the full acceptance of Almighty God. The power of self-gratifying sexual distortion has been defeated We're no longer driven by the approval of others. That has been nailed to the cross. We are united to Christ. Almighty God approves. So we don't have to fight and bicker and bite to make sure that we get what's ours. Everything we need, we have. Our peace is not based on our performance, but on our Savior. So we're good. Not because we're good, but because He's good. What did Paul say back in chapter 2? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The power of self-gratification Dear Christian, has been replaced by the pleasure of God glorification. And so this is why Romans chapter 6 verse 11 can tell you to consider yourself dead to sin. Just consider yourself dead to sin. When you feel tempted to turn from God and do things your own way and act out of that feeling of emptiness, the works of the flesh, consider yourself dead to sin. That's not who you are anymore. You're a new man, a new woman. And here's the great irony of the whole thing. Is when you say yes to the Spirit of God in your life, and you say no to self-gratification, you actually become more like your true self. The flesh tells us that we need this or this to feel worthy, to feel good, to feel valuable. But that's a lie. Because in Christ, we know that the only thing that we need to feel worthy and good and valuable is Him. We have Him. And look, He's not going anywhere. His love and acceptance of me 
based on His grace, will drive out any attraction I feel towards trying to be accepted in some other way. So that's the long and short of it. This is how we live a life keeping step with the Spirit. It's a life lived every moment receiving from the grace of Jesus the acceptance that you have from Him. You're free. The works of the flesh don't have any power over you. And so, when Jesus becomes the center of everything in your life, more of the molecules of Christ and His own glory get excited in us, and they burst out of us, exploding in colorful lights like on the 4th of July. They will shine with His light into the darkness of this world like a city on a hill. This is how we win the war of the flesh. This is how we keep in step with the Spirit. Make Jesus the center. Let's pray. Father, we confess that there are many times our identity is more about the works of the flesh than the fruits of the Spirit. And we've given in to disordered sexuality, misusing this gift that you've given to married couples. We've preached loudly against others' sins while ignoring our own. Would you forgive us? We admit to you, Lord, that we have given in to disordered relationships, seeking to be central in those relationships. We've despised the lowly place. We've seethed with anger towards those in authority. Would you forgive us? And Lord, in so many ways, we've shown little self-control. We've allowed ourselves to be mastered by lies. We've misused pleasures to escape life rather than to connect with you. And yet, Father, you have set your love on us this morning by exposing these things in our lives. And through Jesus, you came to clean the mess that we made. And we are so undeserving of this kindness. It truly is more than we deserve. Will you enable us to believe the gospel and trust your Son? Holy Spirit, will you lead us? Will you guide us? Will you give us feet which freely follow your lead? Give us grace not to stray from your truth. Take your hand on this journey and see Christ formed in us to the praise of His glorious grace and create a love in us and joy in us and peace in us. Give us patience. Make us kind. Make us good. Lord, make us faithful. May we be a gentle people. And may we be a people of Christ exalting self-control. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your assurance of pardon this morning comes from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you are forgiven.